don't sit down. This is the way you get attention in school. Uh, yeah, you'd get plenty of attention with that, wouldn't you? I uh, would like us to turn to a passage of scripture. It's very rare. Hebrews 13, 3. It says, uh, think too of all who suffer as if you shared their pain. I know that there's plenty of pain in the world and plenty of heartaches and plenty of trouble. And uh, I'd like to spend a moment with this because a lot of people have attacked God because he said, you have allowed pain. And uh, I'm carrying something that's kind of neat. Michelle uh, Schweitzer's daddy made this and she gave it to me. And I, uh, it's a beautiful thing, but notice it's got mud on the bottom. And I was just complaining that I'm falling a lot more looking for dinosaurs than I ever used to. And so now I've got a crutch. And you know what? That's a very comforting thing. It's got red mud on the end because you can't keep it pretty and still stick it in the mud, can you? And crutches are very, very useful. Now, I found that God defined pain a long time ago and had a purpose for it. Pain is not just a random thing which some fluke of evolution left unsatisfied. But indeed, it's part of God's plan and there is some profit in pain. And I want to examine the scriptural nature of it. Before I do, I'd like to do the physical nature of it. If you want more of this, there's a wonderful book out by Charlie Brand, the man who reconstructed lepers' hands. And he was a godly man. And Philip Yancey works with him. And it's a wonderful discourse on pain. I don't like pain, but it is one of the major protections which God provides his people. And we need to live with that. You know, as if you shared other people's pain. Now, if you walk in somebody's shoes for a mile, you'll find out whether you get blisters or not. And I think the church would be a lot open-minded and open-hearted if it just saw that I need to be with those who are hurting. And the church needs to be with those who are hurting. And some of you have made a specialty of that. And if you have that, God bless you for that talent and that gift which he has obviously given you because it's not a common thing to want to share anybody's pain. You know that's not the case. And I'd like to address, first of all, physical pain for just a moment because it's the picture of a plan of God. And it shows that God is orderly and there's no random or fortuitous circumstance in anything that has to do with a human being. We are here by design and that includes pain, doesn't it? You know, if you measure pain, and Charlie Brand was a great one at this because restoring lepers' hands, he found out that there was a great deal of intriguing phenomena about the human body. Truly and fearfully, we are wondrously made. We've heard that before. Why don't we really buy it and really believe it? Did you know that the tongue can endure about three grams pressure, but the foot can endure 250 grams pressure? I wonder why that is. Well, your foot has to do a different job than your mouth does. Now, some people like, probably can handle three or 400 grams of pressure because they use their tongue so much, and it's a little bit over-muscled. But that's not normally the case. You ever wonder why you can stick your tooth in a little uh, cavity, your, your, uh, your tongue in a little cavity in your tooth, and it feels like a cavern? Have you ever wondered about that? What if your fingers were like that and you mashed it? Wouldn't that be excruciating? But God didn't design you that way, did he? There's also a test using a pinprick that the eyeball can only endure two-tenths of a gram. That's a teeny bitty, itty bitty part of your little finger. 
But did you know that your fingertips can endure 300 grams? Thank God, and there are many of us who are diabetic. Man, if you look at our fingertips, they're scarred, and I'm glad God designed it that way, because I guess he knew us diabetics would be self-mutilating ourselves to stay alive. God distributed things different in every part of our body in order that pain might be handled. Pain cells are not distributed evenly, and I'm thankful for that. Did you know that our stomach could be wound on a drum and burned, and we would not suffer the pain? The main pain would come when we have a few gas bubbles in our stomach. Does that hurt? Oh, that's called a stomach ache, isn't it? And yet, what a miraculous variety of pain distribution in the body. God cleverly designed it that way for His purpose. Pain, therefore, is by design. It is not an accident, and therefore we must realize we take it into account in our everyday existence, how important it is. Hansen disease is a clear, is a clear proof that without pain we would perish. Now I had this old stick, and you know you could lean on that thing, and when my heel is hurting, it's good to lean on something. And did you know that the pain receptors borrow each other from place to place? You can have a heart attack here and feel it over here. And God has designed it that way in order, as I begin to wear away the tendons of my muscles, if I have Hansen's disease or leprosy, I cannot keep my fingers intact. I bump my face. I rub my hands. I kick my toe, and eventually I lose that part of my body because it's insensate. I have no pain. And therefore, I would conclude that without pain, we have death. With pain, we may have death, but we adjust much better with the pain, and there is a purpose for it. Now, I know that there's more to life than physical pain, and I sometimes wonder if the mental and spiritual pain is not far worse than the agony of the flesh. And I know I've seen terrible agonies of the flesh. All of us have. Cancer. Oh my, if we could destroy that scourge that seems to cause God's people so much pain. Probably in this small congregation, there's 10 of us or 12 of us that are dealing with or have dealt with that single pain dealing running amok of the cells of the body called cancer. And it's a terrible, terrible pain. And we have to sometimes live with that. Did you know that uh, I keep up with biology, I keep up with organic chemistry because part of my life, there's a new compound called telomerase, telomerase. And it binds the end of the DNA molecules in our body and it comes unraveled because the skin, as we begin to grow older, only multiplies between 50 and 70 times, the epithelial layers. And you can see that my hand isn't as pretty and soft and pink and as much fun to interdigitate with as you youngsters at 30 or 20 or 50 or 60. But I tell you what, things change. And there's only so much rejuvenation of the cells that lie within our bodies. And after that, the telomerase disappears, the caps begin to dis explode or implode, and before long, the cell dies and we grow old. And there's a mechanism that God has put in there. Part of it's pain. Don't tell me that growing old isn't a pain. Pain in the rear. A derriere, I should say that word. It's a terrible thing to grow old. 
in a way, is it? Because it hurts. I'd like to say it's a pretty, pretty thing, but not always, is it? There is, for many of our problems, a panacea, an answer to such a thing, and it's not Bayer or Excedrin 26, but rather it's the fellowship of God, koinonia. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' koinonia, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. And we need the body. And as I was imitating a picture of a guy with a bruised heel beginning to cripple, if one of us is hurting, we should all cripple. We should all stand close and, and adjust our step with them and care for them and be intrigued and interested by them. It's God's design and its purpose in the physical body ever so much more in the spiritual body. Well, koinonia is found in oh, three or four chapters, but I like 1 Corinthians 12. I also like Ephesians 4, and I also like Romans 12. So think 12, 4, 12. And that has to do with the fellowship of God's people, the koinonia, the community, the spiritual family, see? The togetherness of God's people. And sometimes that's your best protection against a world of outrageous nature of sadness and sorrow and pain rampant running everywhere. Listen to what he says in Galatians 6, 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, that should be every one of us, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now the word restore there is a word called katartizo. Katartizo. And it means to set a broken bone. And every soldier knew about that in the field. Those old terrible blunt hand axes, they weren't sharp and they weren't polished steel and those long swords, they weren't sharp as you see it on TV. They were old dull things of iron and tin. And they were designed mainly to break men's bones, not to sever anything. All you had to do is break a man's arm and he suddenly wanted to get intellectual. Let's talk about this now. And so that's all that was required. And breaking a bone was a prerequisite for a soldier in the field. And also for those who were fishermen, it means the same word, karatartizo, means to mend the nets. Now, for a sailor, that's a fisherman, that's everything, mend the nets. If you've got a member of your household at home who needs a mended net, you restore her. Restore him. If there's a brother in the church that's got a broken bone, either physically or spiritually, heal that bone. It needs to be done. I tell you this, pain and suffering has happened. It's a fact of our life. I think you will see more of it in the world to come, and the church needs to be prepared for that. So what? Do you remember the... The, the tired old movies, you know, the guy that gets all shook up in the army and he goes hysterical <laughs> and the guy slaps him across the jowls, whop, like that. And he says, thanks, I needed that. You remember that old cliche? Thanks, I needed that. Well, that's pretty bum advice, a slap in the face, isn't it? I don't know whether that really is what he needed or not. We're prone to give the slap in the face before we are giving a courage word. I mentioned that. And I think of this, even more stupid advice to pain. God is testing you, sister. Well, I don't know whether God is testing us with some of the things that we run across. I really doubt it most of the time. So be careful about quoting God doing anything in your life. You leave it to him. 
What a wonderful cancer, brother. Give thanks to the Lord for this. That's the dumbest of all. I shall never give thanks for the cancer that killed my daddy. I just am not up to that, and I don't believe the Bible requires that I do that. That powerful and strong man I loved just like any little boy would love his papa. He was everything, and when I went to say goodbye to him, I put my arm around him, and I recoiled, and it hurt his feelings because I could feel every bone in that strong man's body. I don't give thanks for that. And I didn't ask my daddy to just give thanks to the Lord. Dad, it's a wonderful thing you have there. What a delightful cancer. Not in the name of the Lord. Not at all. And then I've heard this advice. Well, if you're having troubles, maybe you'd like to talk about some of your hidden sins, sister. I, don't hope, I hope you never give anybody that advice. That's not biblical. and That is not right. But now, let's go into it. What can the church do to do things in the koinonia way? In the spiritual sense to heal mended and mend things that are broken, see, and heal those things which are separated. I know that if you're lonely, you're hurting. There's pain. And if you're rejected, there's pain and there's hurt. And if there's cancer, you're hurting. And we need to stand by those who will suffer those things. I would conclude this thought. And I think a great man quantified at least five of these. I have a study which has more than this, if you're welcome, borrow it if you would like, because I've tried to carefully research everything that has to do with pain and suffering because I see an awful lot of it in the world. And I want the church to be better prepared to step in and to heal some of the problems. You young people, don't be turned off by this because even you are going to have pains, even you. And you may have some worse even than the older people. And, you know, his name was Martin Luther. And he quantified over almost uh, several hundred years ago at least five things that the Bible says pain is a comfort, is a gift to our life rather than a curse. Number one, he said, it refines our faith. And here he quotes 1 Peter 1, verses 5 through 7, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried by fire. Now, if you're purified by fire, that's going to hurt. There's one way to sterilize your hands. You say to the little kids, come out, it's time to eat hamburgers. Now, put your hands over the fire here and we'll get rid of the germs. Now, you don't do it that way, do you? Now, you'd be tempted sometimes <laughs> to do that. But that would certainly take care of the problem, but I'm afraid the problem would be, you know, not near as bad as the solution that you offered, see. And so he goes on, it perishes, this gold dust, though it is purified by fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Being tried by fire refines me and purifies me and you we need to keep that in mind that God is purifying some of the drought that is within us. Secondly, he said this, pain makes us mature. James 1, 2, 4, hey, how can you be in sports? No pain, no gain, man. No pain, no gain. And I can remember just doing dumb things in the army to prove how mature and macho I was. Have you ever done that, men? 
Uh, there's a few men here, and they have a male ego. And yes, I'm quite sure, ladies, you understand that a male's ego is a problem to handle and to deal with, isn't it? Have you ever done goofy things just to prove how tough you are? Well, listen, count it all joy, my brothers, when we meet various trials, pains, sorrowing, suffering. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfast, and let steadfast have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, when I look at an old face, scarred, gray, wrinkled, tired, sad, roomy-eyed, what a beautiful face it is. And contrasted to a little baby's perfect little pink face, it's so uniquely different, but there's the mark of God in that tired, old, worn-out face, isn't it? You think of your mama, you think of your papa, or your grandparents, and you just think of that beautiful, old face, how it has been tried, how it has proven successful, and how it's come out to the good. And then he said, thirdly, pain helps us to display the works of God, John 9, 1 through 3. And he was speaking of a blind man who had been healed, and here's what they said. Neither has this man sinned, nor his parents. Because see, they said, well, hey, he's blind. Uh, was he responsible or was his, his parents? Well, if you've raised kids, aren't you glad that there comes a time when you're not totally responsible for your children? You can't be blamed for that. They eventually have to decide for themselves and be what they know God wants them to be. And you just can't forever take responsibility. You get them as far as you can, and you love them, and you say goodbye, and you pray the rest of your days, and you love them for the rest of your days. So he says, he says, uh, all things there, not his parents that were made him guilty, but the works of God should be manifest in him. I think many of you know the ministry of, of, of Johnny Erickson Tata. Have you heard her story or told that? She became a quadriplegic, a beautiful young lady, dived in, broke her neck, and forever has lost the sense of everything below her neck. And yet she's become one of the great artists of the world. She inspired hundreds of thousands of people by her ministry. She has painted pictures with her teeth. She has overcome. And she has displayed the works of God. Because here I am, fat and sassy and healthy and educated and everything, and free to do whatever I want to be, and I don't have one thousandth of the ministry that she does. And would it have been the same had she re remained subtle and beautiful and ever lissome and young? No, I think not. I really do not. And the fourth thing was this, that we should be conformed to God's image by pain. In Romans 8, 28 and 29, I'll just read the last verse. And we know that all things, whether it's pain or anything else, work together for good to them who are the called according to God's purpose. And the last, of course, that ultimate gift of pain is hope. How so? Well, in Romans 5, 3, it says, But we glory in tribulations, also knowing that tribulation works patience, and patience experience, and experience 
brings hope. Now, you see, pain has a part of that. When I overcome pain on a day-to-day -day basis, I am assured that whatever happens to me, I have been trained, I have been developed, I have been using the strength and the Spirit of God to overcome the next pain and the next heartache and the next trouble. I find that this veil of tears is a great sequence of many small things as well as great things. And if we wish to overcome, we shall overcome. It gives us hope because we have seen it work. The joy of that tired old face of the older person is these are overcomers. This dear person has won her fight, his fight. They have conquered time and time again and you know the adversity that they have gone through and you feel good about that. Probably the most significant pain brought to human beings on the face of the earth was World War II. And uh, part of that because it's I think God's plan that that was the way it should be. At least 42 million people suffered and died, and four to six million specifically of the Israelites, God's people, perished. Four to six million, many say six. I'll buy the six. If it was six, it was too many. Six million is unthinkable, but it happened. A man who sat by the president not long ago when that great museum of the suffering of God's people in New York was open, was named Eli Wiesel, W-I-E-S-E-L, who was a prisoner at Birkenbaugh during the worst part of the end of the war when Hitler was destroying on some days 180,000 Jews a day. And this is what Eli says, he is not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, never shall I forget that night, seven times seven cursed and seven times sealed. Never shall I forget that smoke. Never shall I forget the little faces of the children whose bodies I saw turned into wreaths of smoke beneath a silent blue sky. Never shall I forget that nocturnal silence which deprived me for all eternity of the desire to even live. Never shall I forget those moments which murdered my God. And my soul turned my dreams to dust. Never shall I forget these things, even if I am condemned to live as long as God himself. Never will I forget. You all know the story of Corey Ten Boom, and if you do not, shame on you. You all, I should think, would know uh, Sabrina and, uh, and Pastor Richard Vermbrandt and their terrible suffering and the author of the book, uh, Tortured for Christ. You should read Sabrina's, ladies, uh, her, her wonderful daily devotions as she suffered in prison knowing her, her children and her husband also were suffering for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I mean in, in unthinkable ways. I don't mean giving up your hearing because you were too dumb to put a, something in your ear when you were chopping a hole through the church's wall. That's stupidity. That's not suffering. There have been people who have suffered, believe you me. They have indeed. When I think of that wonderful dear lady, Corey Tenboom, I don't think of this terrible poem that this guy wrote. It's sad, it's ugly, it's gross. And by the way, if you want to know why that terrible suffering of the Holocaust, read Leviticus 26 and you'll have a much clearer understanding of why such things are tolerated by God Almighty. We simply 
like sheep turned away from him and broke his commandments and walked away from his word and did not listen to the Messiah which he sent. And we therefore became prisoners to our own ugliness and our own inner poor, poor, sad heart. And it is an attribute of sin. And listen, in Romans 8, 6, he says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And in Cory Ten Boom, you find hymns being sung of, of people who had no bread sharing a little crust of bread, of, of, uh, of love and of mercy and of gentleness and people laying down their lives for their brothers and their sisters. And Cory, with her Jesus, had a noble life. And Eli without the Lord Jesus could only see agony and heartache and pain. And thus there was no hope or no goodness for Eli. Well, I believe with all of my heart that Jesus showed us the way. Oh, remember, do you think Jesus knew pain? Why, certainly, of course, he made those hands that hurt, and so they drove a nail through it. And he understood that even though the legs could take an eight millimeter junction between two without discerning that there's two points instead of one, they broke his leg. And so, you see, he knew all about pain and he said those precious words, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabbathani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think he knew what pain was. Well, that's silly. Sure he did. He knew what pain was all about. However deep the pit, the love of God is deeper still. And Jesus showed us that that was true. When you have a day you don't think you can handle, you can get through it if you'll just cling to the words of Jesus. Follow him, read him, study him, be his friend, know him intimately. Oh, my heart is filled for a world that doesn't in the main know much about Jesus. And we in the church are so lucky. We have such a great inheritance. We have eternal life and we have hope and we have material things which allow us to survive in this veil of tears much better than others without a plan, without a promise, without a Lord to look to, and without a hope of salvation. That includes our nation. Second Chronicles 7, 14 said, And if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear them from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. The best thing you can do for America is to pray for it. Is to pray for it. Is to pray for it and to pray for its people. We are a covenant people. One thing I'll tell you, I'm getting sick of seeing clouds, aren't you? But one thing I've noticed about a cloud is, and we've had plenty of rain, Bruce. Just call it off. Call it off. We've had plenty of rain. We have walked through a bog hole, it seems like, out at our place for three months. And when that sunlight comes, isn't it glorious? And after a rain comes the covenant circle of God, the rainbow. And in the rainbow of blessing, it's a promise that sin isn't going to conquer or destroy us ever ever again. And I want to conclude with this one thought. It's a small thing. The voice of the martyrs. I mentioned Pastor Vern Brandt 
And uh, if you would like to, you can borrow one of this, The Voice of the Martyrs. And you know, all over the world, the church is being persecuted today. And you know, we have it easy in America, but there are people who are laying down their life, who are being crucified, literally, who are being sold into slavery, who are being destroyed in school systems because of their confession of faith. And I believe that we need to really bleed for the martyrs. Martyrs, those who perish because of their witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? I pity a church which has not the heart to pray, to feed, to help the suffering martyred church around the world. Because it simply means we don't have that concept of pain that when something hurts, all of us should hurt. When someone's low, we should all gather in and strengthen and encourage and comfort. And when a little guy is struggling, we should all pitch in and lift him up and elevate him and take care of him. And I know that the more you learn about the suffering church, the more the church will grow. And that you need to stand beside the cripple and the hard, the hard one, the hurt one, the lonely one, and the sad one. I conclude with just this one verse, and I began with it in Hebrews 13, 3. Thank to of all who suffer as if you shared their pain. And I think then the martyrs will profit, the church here around the golf course will profit, your family, your sweetheart will profit if you walk in empathy and understand their pain. Let's stand and sing our hymn invitation. Is it meet us here? Which one is it? Open our eyes. Open our eyes. Okay. Open our eyes. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. To reach out and touch Him. And say that we love Him. Open our ears, Lord. And help us to confession of your faith that may, may need to be born again of the water and of the Spirit. You're not going to inherit the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And whatever happens in your life, if you're not born again, you can suffer all kinds of pain and never know heaven, never know martyrdom, never know anything that's good beyond this veil of tears, but oblivion and judgment. But hey, behind every rain crowd, cloud, there has to come the rainbow, and it's a promise of God's covenanted people. Hey, it's dark and it's clay, it is rainy and it's kind of gross out there in the muddy fields, but there's a green sward coming. There's a grassy heaven 
that's prepared for God's people. If you'd like to sing as we that last one, and you would like to make a decision for the Lord Jesus Christ, please, please come. We'll sing the last verse. Soften my heart, Lord. Melt me and mold me. Make me a vessel to pour out your spirit, to bring joy and gladness to those who have sorrow. Open my eyes, Lord. I want to see Jesus. Thank you for a heavy sermon. It isn't all giggles and laughs, but we have hope. Whatever happens, would you be seated?